welcome to Moniker, the histories and mysteries of names, the show that debunks grade school lore one episode at a time. We learn a lot of things in elementary school that we later have to unlearn. Like, no, Columbus wasn't the first European in America, despite the fact that he sailed the ocean blue in 1492. And, no, you won't use cursive every day in high school, and you'll kind of forget how as an adult. And also, no, permanent records aren't a thing, and they won't follow you for the rest of your life. Sometimes it's even harder to unlearn the apocryphal nonsense that kids share with each other on the playground. And that brings us to today's topic. I'm sure you've heard the old story about how Iceland and Greenland got their names. The Vikings did a weird bait-and-switch with the two islands, so people looking for beautiful green pastures would be tricked into going to frigid, icy Greenland. Presumably the Vikings could then keep the beautiful green Iceland for themselves. Seems reasonable enough. Vikings were known for being bloodthirsty raiders, so maybe they were liars too. But does this story have any foundation in reality? Let's take a closer look. The island nation that we now know as Iceland has gone by many names and has been, quote, discovered at several points in its many millennia-long history. Vikings were among its early settlers, but they definitely weren't the only historical inhabitants. Some of the earliest people to try to scratch out a living on the unforgiving island were a group of Irish Catholic monks. D. Kyle, a monk and geographer, wrote in the 700s AD about such a group of clerics settling on the island. The medieval accounts of the Vikings corroborate with the presence of a group of wandering Christians they called the Papar, who left behind books, crosses, and bells after seemingly abandoning the island with little trace other than those objects. The first Viking to explore the island was a man named Nadad, who was trying to sail to the Faroe Islands but was blown westward to Iceland. Nadad was impressed by the beauty and resources of the island, but dismayed by the unforgiving climate. Thus he named the island Snowland, because he was creative and stuff. Nadad was eventually able to travel back to his home in Norway and escape the life of a Scandinavian popsicle. Around 870 AD, a Swedish Viking named Gardar Svarvarsson circumnavigated the island that, by that time, was commonly referred to as Snowland. Regardless, he decided to rename it after himself, Gardar's Isle. The Book of Settlements, a collection of writings which records, among other things, the Viking settlement of Iceland, lists Floki Vilgardarsson as the first Norseman to intentionally sail to Iceland not having been blown off course or anything. Legend has it that he sailed with his family and three ravens. One raven he released, and it flew to the Faroe Islands. The second raven flew up to the sky and back down to their boat, and they followed the third raven to their desired destination, Gardar's Isle. Floki and his family did really well on the island during the spring and summer months, they had had enough food that they brought with them, but the problem was 
Once winter came, their livestock starved because they didn't bring enough fodder to feed them. When they were trying to determine if they could sail back home, Floki climbed the tallest mountain he could find to look for a sea route through the frozen fjords. And as he crawled up to the top, all he could see was an endless expanse of snow and ice. It's from this moment of bitter reflection that he supposedly decided to name the island Iceland. Again, it's really not a creative name, but you can really empathize with Floki and his feelings of hopelessness and just, I hate it here. This place is going to kill me. Just a few years later, Ingolfur Arnarsson created the first permanent settlement in Iceland in what is now Reykjavik. He and his family had to flee Norway because of a blood feud. How exciting. Within the next 60 years, about 30,000 more Norwegian refugees settled in Iceland. And to this day, Ingolfur is celebrated as the founding father of the country. Iceland has been populated by people of Norse descent ever since then, and even though the modern-day population is still relatively small, only around 300,000, it's still populated enough to be considered one of the Nordic states. So the name Iceland didn't deter people from settling on the island, nor was it intended to discourage travelers. But what about Greenland, an island that is like 85% ice? If the Vikings didn't lie about Iceland, did they lie about Greenland? Well, that is going to take us into a little bit more familiar territory. The island we now know as Greenland is the largest island in the world. Today, it's a mostly autonomous territory of Denmark, but the island has been claimed by many people groups throughout its history. The first inhabitants of Greenland were proto-Inuit tribes like the Sakak, who traveled in at least six major waves of immigration northwestward from Canada. The quintessential figure of European settlement in Greenland was a certain Erik Torvaldsen, otherwise known as Erik the Red, who apparently had a temper as flaming as his red hair. Eric landed in Greenland from his home in Iceland around the 980s AD. He had to leave his western Icelandic home because of a dispute with a neighbor that turned violent. He was sentenced to an exile of three years, which, funnily enough, is how he and his father ended up in Iceland from Norway in the first place. About a decade prior to this, there was some kind of thing where Eric's dad killed somebody, so they had to be exiled to Iceland. It seems like stirring up trouble than skipping town is kind of a time-honored Viking tradition. Anyway, once Eric was exiled, he decided to set sail west because he had heard rumors about an island that was spotted by an explorer about 50 years prior. After a treacherous voyage, he spied the east coast of Greenland, possibly around what is modern-day Amasalik. And then Eric followed the coast around the tip of the island to the more sheltered area on the left side. This is closer to the rest of mainland North America, so it was more sheltered from the stormy seas. Eric would spend the years of his exile exploring the island and contemplating its possibilities. You can imagine him strolling through the grasslands and picturing cattle grazing and sheep. He didn't encounter any 
tribes people like the Dorset culture, who were likely settling in the north around the same time. But Eric did find things like whalebone tools and knives and skin boats that were left behind from one of the proto-Inuit cultures, but historians aren't sure which. Eric made a kind of homestead farm near the current town of Kakartok, and he was super excited about the island's green meadows, which would be ideal pasturage for the livestock. It's worth noting that scientists believe that the 10th century was a uniquely warm time for that region. The huge Arctic ice sheet that currently covers Greenland wouldn't expand to its current size until a cooling cycle began around the 14th century. That isn't to say that there wasn't any ice on Greenland at this time, just not as much as today. Again, that some 85% of the surface is covered with ice. Eric returned to his home in Iceland once his three-year banishment was up. He wanted to return to the island and have other people come with him. He enticed his fellow Vikings with tales about the rich, green land he discovered. Eric spoke of waters full of fish, rolling green pastures, and abundant birds and game. A large group of Vikings were sold on the idea pretty quickly. Figuring out Eric's exact motivation in this was a bit of a challenge. Most historians seem to think that Eric used the name Greenland as a ploy to deliberately exaggerate the resources of the island. Presumably, he would have some authority and power in the new land, being the founder and all, so he might have lied to get people to become his subjects in this new land where he'd basically be like a king. Other sources don't really call into question Eric's motives and suggest that he found a green part of the island, wanted to share it with his people, and subterfuge didn't factor in at all. However pure or shady Eric's motives, there's no question that he was trying to sell his people on the idea of Greenland. It's attested to in both the Saga of the Greenlanders and the Saga of Eric the Red both of which are pretty cool, and I'll include links in the show notes to where you can check those out, because it's kind of a cool primary resource. And the gambit worked. Around 985 AD, Eric sailed again for Greenland, this time with a veritable armada of 25 ships carrying around 500 people and tons of livestock and supplies. Unfortunately, only 14 ships made it to the shores of Greenland, The other ships were either wrecked on the rough passage, or they had to turn back to Iceland because of the stormy seas. The Viking pilgrims, along with Eric the Red and his family, settled into a pasture-farming lifestyle that was similar to what they had in Iceland. Despite the rough terrain and harsh climate, these early settlements were largely successful, so much so that they spread out and divided the island into multiple sections with their own chieftains. At its height, the European population of Greenland grew to about 3,000 in the early Middle Ages. It was Christianized, the power shifted from Iceland to Norway to Denmark. There's some evidence of trade and interaction between the Norse and the native tribes like the Thule, but there's not much in the way of super reliable sources. It's worth noting that the Thule are the direct ancestors of the modern Inuit people groups who make up the majority of Greenland's population today. And by majority, we're talking like 88%. European settlements started to disappear from Greenland around the 1300s. 
Again, this was probably because of a cooling period that made the land virtually uninhabitable. Many proto-Inuit tribes began to disappear as well, with the exception of the aforementioned tool culture, who had adapted to the climate enough to where they could still survive on the island. We should note that there have been many indigenous names for the island during the waves of migration. Although it's unclear what Tulian or Inuit names were contemporaneous with the Viking occupation. The island experienced some resurgence in European settlement by the Danes around the 18th century, with priests establishing churches aiming to minister to the Inuit population. When asked by the Danes what their people were called, the native Greenlanders replied that they were the Kalachlit. The meaning of this word is unknown. Some historians have hypothesized that this is actually a corruption of the Norse word, scaling, which is actually a derogatory term Vikings used for the tool and means something like wimp or weakling. Obviously, the semantic meaning wasn't retained, but it's possible that this and other borrowed Viking words were preserved in the Greenlander lexicon because of its centuries of relative isolation. The demographics of Greenland haven't really changed much since the departure of the Vikings and the dominion of the Tool. Today, again, about 88% of Greenland's population identifies as Inuit, and the government is essentially independent of European rule. In the late 20th century, Greenlandic became an official language of Greenland alongside Danish. With this, the name Greenland has largely been replaced in official capacities by the Greenlandic name Kalachalit Nanat, which means Land of the Kalachalit, or Land of the Greenlanders. My pronunciation is absolutely terrible. Please forgive me. So, did Eric the Red's advertising campaign pay off? Maybe, but not for long. And it totally had nothing to do with keeping people away from Iceland. And Iceland was apparently a great place for Vikings who couldn't play well with others. But not exactly a verdant paradise they were trying to keep for themselves. If you want to learn more about the Vikings and their explorations in the North Atlantic, you should check out the Book of Settlements, the Saga of the Greenlanders, and the Saga of Eric the Red. I'll have links to these in the show notes. Now, you might have noticed that we didn't get too much into the indigenous history of Greenland, which is really, really important, especially now that the Greenlanders are starting to get a little bit more autonomy and authority over the historically European-driven government. So I'm going to include some resources, including a book called The Native Greenlander, which is a collection of folktales written by Kalachalit authors. It's just, it's really wonderful, and it's kind of a way that you can get some sense of Greenlandic culture from the population itself. In the meantime, remember that pretty much everything you learned on the playground is false. Especially that JTT is totally Whitney B's cousin, and no, you can't meet him because he's busy. Thank you so much for joining me today on Moniker, the Histories and Mysteries of Names. If you have a name you'd like featured on the podcast, please email me at monikerpod at gmail.com. Until next time, farewell!